0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Radiance and Resilience. I'm Betty Parker, your host. I am so grateful for this particular season. I've had some wonderful guests to come in and enlighten us if you've been listening all along regarding systemic discrimination. And I think if you had an opportunity to think about this in an objective way, you'll find that we have a lot of work to do as a country. I'm hoping that all of you who are listening will Uh, consider being allies and looking at ways that we can start talking about these very difficult topics, but not just having the conversation, actually looking at what we can do, what actions we can take to make this world a more equitable place. We want to spread love and acceptance and fairness and all those things that make us work well together as a nation so that we can continue to become strong as people, regardless of our differences. So I thank you for listening in so far. This is our second to last episode. The last one will be next week. We will not have a guest, but I'll just kind of sum up everything that's been discussed and give us some next steps. And especially what you can do to start the conversation wherever you are. But for today, our guest is Deputy Curtis Wilson with the Richland County Sheriff's Department. Now he's speaking on his own behalf, not necessarily as a voice for the Sheriff's Department, but he's going to talk to us about discrimination in law enforcement. You know, this is really a hot topic. There is an anti-police sentiment circulating out there, but most officers I talk to want you to know that they are hardworking empathetic, compassionate, sincere people who care about their communities and they want things to work well. They want to fight the criminal element while still being peace officers. So he gives us a very candid look at what he sees in terms of discrimination in law enforcement and what we can do to help them. So stay tuned after this break, take a listen, and let's just keep everything going to our benefit. I think with your help and with some love in the space, we can thrive and not only survive. Stay tuned. Hello, Curtis Wilson.
1: Hello, Betty Parker. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm great. How about you?
1: I'm well. Thank you.
0: Hey, thank you for taking some time out of your very busy schedule because I know you got like fifty jobs.
1: It gets kind of
0: crazy. <laughs> it gets a little crazy, I'm sure. But I do yeah. appreciate this because I, I value people's time. But I think I also value their opinion and their expertise. And so today, I'm asking you, as a person who has who is in law enforcement, of course, today you speak from your own perspective, not mm-hmm. necessarily from the Richland County Sheriff's. Looking at how we can help educate people around matters of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm, I've been on this quest. For this entire season three to educate people and what I'm calling uh, bringing the world together one conversation at a time. Right. So I have been looking at systemic racism and discrimination in all aspects of our world. I've talked to an attorney regarding, you know, the laws and everything that's on the book through the judicial system. I've spoken to uh, people in the religious sector. I am also going to be speaking with someone in housing and um, healthcare, all those areas where we find where people are kind of marginalized. So I want your expertise just in the area of law enforcement, since that's a kind of hot topic these days. Right. So do you think it exists? Do you see or, or believe that systemic discrimination exists in law enforcement?
1: Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, videos show that uh, quite often, which is unfortunate. But, you know, on that same hand, those videos, only a small percentage of a ton of officers who are out there, most of them who wear that uniform, they wear it for the right reason. But you got those few bad apples, just like in any other, you know, uh, employment workforce. You're going to have those who are not always going to abide by uh, the rules and regulations that they should. And unfortunately, it makes the, it puts that blanket over all law enforcement. And, and again, for those who, who are out there doing the right job and doing what they're supposed to do, it makes their job even harder
0: because mm-hmm. of
1: those who are bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the unfortunate part. Part So when I do DEI training, I try to talk about not stereotyping people. And I feel very strongly about that in terms of how people see any law enforcement, because that's what we tend to do. We'll we'll blanket everybody, like you just said, just because of the actions of a few. So how right. do you all, how do you help to curb some of that? What type of training uh, can we, I mean, do uh, law enforcement officers get in terms of trying to do their jobs, you know, mm-hmm. as efficiently as, and as effectively as they can, yet not criminalize everybody
1: yeah we you know we in law enforcement cannot have that warrior mentality that's not playing in today's day and age so what you have to do of course is have that sensitivity training you have to be able to go through uh, different scenarios uh, that you may encounter in the streets and that's going to help you deal with what's going on one thing that i talked to the sheriff about is uh making sure that Officers who, let's say, are Caucasian, white, and they're mm-hmm. working in African, predominantly African American neighborhoods, get to know the culture, get to know the people that you're serving and protecting, uh, mm-hmm. because if you don't, you go in there and you say, "Let me see, let me see your 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 uh, your license or your ID or where you're going or something like that." In this day and age, somebody African American is going to. Be already on the defense because of that. Right,
0: mm-hmm. they're going to
1: think that they're, you know, um, stereotyping, uh, profiling, or all that type of stuff. So what you have to do now is instead of going in with that mentality, because see, you an officer might get a call that there's a suspicious person in the neighborhood. So that officer gets there and they approach this young man or this young lady, whoever it may be, and they're African American. Now he's there for one reason. That person who they're talking to has no clue why they're asking them these questions. Mm-hmm. Tell them why you're there. Tell them why you know we got a call that there was a suspicious person in the neighborhood, so we're just trying to make sure, you know, blah 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 blah. I'm um, I'm I'm not here to harass you, I'm not here to do that. I just want to make sure I know who you are so that I can clear you, you get to go to do what you have to do. But if we get a call, our job is to find out what's going on, and that's the only reason why we're there. You get officers who have that ego thing, they don't want, they don't, they feel they don't have to tell you that stuff. Right. You just mm-hmm. pull out your license and give it to you. If you don't give it to them, what happens then? Now you're going from zero to a hundred for no reason. Mm-hmm. But if you give them explanations, you tell them why you're there and you're just trying to keep that person safe, the neighborhood safe, your family safe, if you live there. And that's the only reason why you're there. It just takes that one little extra added step. And so the sensitivity training and the culture training, because if I go into a Korean neighborhood or something like that, there are certain protocols that they deal with that we don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Their culture mm-hmm. is different. So if we get the you know, we get that type of training because this is the neighborhood we're going to be in. It will help everybody.
0: I'm so glad to hear you say that because I didn't, you know, a lot of us, I don't know, I, I feel like I got to go to school and learn what the laws of the land are now. And I don't think that's my responsibility. No, that's no. for you all to knew and know and to enforce. But you almost have to figure out what are my rights? Because mm-hmm. what you're describing, I see a lot of videos online about where people do ask, you know, why are you pulling me over? And, mm-hmm. and because they're not given an answer, you're right. It escalates quickly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Just tell me. And if you give me more information, then I understand why you pulled me over and maybe I can help you through this right. process yeah. by saying hey I'm not that guy or this is you know whatever it is because we know a lot of mistakes happen too as far as identity and that kind of thing right. so okay I'm glad to hear you say so we have a right to ask that question
1: you do now you know let's say there's a person on the street and they do have a criminal history and they may mm-hmm. have a warrant and you ask that person let me, let me, get, your, let me get your ID just want to check make sure you're good because we had a call of a suspicious person well you if you are that person with the warrant, you're not going to want to give them your ID because of the fact that you're wanted. Now, see, that's a touchy situation because see now this officer can't just let you walk away. He Mm -hmm. needs to get that ID to be able to know who you are. And there's a reason why he's asking. So most times we say, well, I'm going to say this all times we say comply. If we Mm -hmm. have the wrong person or anything like that, you can take it up to the higher ups and higher ups nowadays, as you know, they uh, are zero tolerance for anything negative. Mm-hmm. So as long mm-hmm. as the officer is cordial and doing what he's supposed to do and you're giving him the ID and you're cordial the whole nine yards, it clears it up real quick. But if you have a warrant, well, of course you get locked up. Because um, mm-hmm. officers, by the way, if there's a warrant out there, police officers cannot rescind the warrant. Only the judge can. So no matter how much you plead, or how much you beg, You officer's job is to take you in, let you deal with the judge on the warrant. That's the bottom Mm -hmm. line. But if you have no warrant, then you have nothing to worry about. Just say, sir, I'm just trying to get to my house and live right here, such and such and such. But people nowadays feel like I'm not going to answer any questions. I have a right to be quiet, blah, 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 blah. You do. But see, if there's something that happened in that neighborhood, he's only just trying to make sure he can eliminate you as a suspect or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, it just makes it a tough job for the officer because... Let's say you are that criminal. Now he doesn't know who you are and you might be somebody who's a murderer. You might pull out a mm-hmm. weapon. All of this stuff can happen. And it, and again, the shoot, don't shoot scenarios that are out there on YouTube and so forth that you could look at can show you how quick it goes from zero to 100. And how yeah, can often make mistakes and how people make mistakes. So it's a touchy situation. But again, it's just knowing the community you're serving.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it it almost sounds to me like we can help y'all in some of of this policing if we were just able to just if we would just say, okay, here, here's the information here's you're asking my, for. Yeah, because yeah, like you're saying, if I'm not guilty of anything, what do I have to hide? You know, right. so I'll share here. my, I'll give you my license, whatever. I'll be able to move on a lot faster yeah. <laughs> since I know I have nothing to worry about. And it helps the officer to distinguish between who's the most suspicious and people who don't have anything to worry about. Absolutely. So in some ways, we're helping ourselves. I get that. So when it comes to this whole idea around officers being able to make you know fast decisions when coming across people... When Without, I don't know, is it possible not to profile?
1: It's tough. It really is, especially because, like I said, most times when we're in certain neighborhoods or areas, it's because we got a call or we got a tip or something to that effect. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I'm not going to say all the time, because remember, you have that kid who had the mask on because he had some type of disease and he's walking down the street. Mm -hmm. And the officers did get a call saying it was a suspicious person, which he did look suspicious. And mm-hmm. it just went from zero to a hundred and the kid ends up dead. That's right. And it's horrible because that shouldn't have never happened. Um, mm-hmm. George Floyd, you know, complied. Mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, he doesn't want to get in the vehicle. Well, okay. They had to use a little bit of force to get him into the vehicle, but they did not have to put the knee on the neck. That mm-hmm. was just overkill right there in itself. Um, yeah. So it just depends on situations that go on. And, and the thing about it, Every situation is going to be different for officers. Every Mm -hmm. single one, none of them are going to be the same, you know, and that's what makes it hard, too. It's It's a tough job, but it's one of those that it's needed. It's really- oh, absolutely! Look,
0: I'm telling you, if I see some criminal behavior somewhere close to me, I'm calling 911 <laughs> or Star yeah. HP or somebody. Because yeah. so this whole idea, we don't believe we don't need the police. We just want the heavy-handed policing right. to be, you know, be uh, taking care of. So, it, what do you say to people? Because I've been hearing this a lot. Because um, we're talking about discrimination now. There are people who, if we want to go to the George Floyd situation, uh, who say, you know look at his toxicology report or mm-hmm. if, if he didn't want this to happen, he shouldn't have gone in and did whatever it was it, it alleged, it's alleged that he did. Right. Uh, they want to say that, and I'm saying not they, but white people in particular, because that's who I hear this from, um, if they, if, for black people who are stopped more often by the police, whatever the deal is, if they weren't doing anything wrong, then they wouldn't be in that predicament so they shouldn't do this. How do you respond to that? Because there there's this this also the stereotyping of blacks that we are more prone to criminal behavior we're causing our own issues and that kind of train of thought
1: well you know it again they were called because he alleged passed a counterfeit bill Mm -hmm. um he had issues in the past so he figured okay don't shoot me which is a video that i saw um and the way that they handled it it was just a counterfeit bill Mm -hmm. it wasn't like he had a weapon and he was robbing somebody or he beat somebody up or he stabbed somebody or he killed somebody it's mm-hmm. a counterfeit bill. And that, to me, didn't require the use of force that they used on him. And yeah. that's the thing. there, There is a, a use of force continuum that law enforcement officers are trained to do. You mm. go, you know, you use your hands first. first. First and foremost, let me go backwards. Do you know what you use first that's the most powerful weapon that each of us have?
0: Your words? <laughs> your words. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Those mm-hmm.
1: words will determine... Really quick to de-escalate a situation or escalate right. a situation, depending mm-hmm. on your personality and attitude. If you're yelling and, and hollering and and if I'm talking to you calmly, what the, what is that going to tell you? Why am I yelling right. so crazy? He's not right calm it down a little bit. And my thing, mm-hmm. when I'm out there and I'm talking to someone, and if they're really elevated and escalated, I'm going to talk mm-hmm. to you calmly. I'm going to say, I understand what you're saying. First of all, you got to mm-hmm. understand what they're saying because if you mm-hmm. don't, they're going to continue to yell and be abusive and it can go even higher. But if you just listen to what they're saying, mostly they're just getting off the steam and you pull them away from a crowd because guess what happens when a crowd is there?
0: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It
1: escalates it even more. Absolutely. You take them away from the crowd and you talk to this person to try to understand what's the issue, what's the problem, I'm here to help. I'm not here mm-hmm. to create any more issues for you i want to help you and as long as he hears me and he calms down we're good now if he still wants to go all crazy and get wild then that's when you got to go to the next level but mm-hmm. most times when you talk to somebody it works nine out of ten that conversation we call it um verbal judo it really oh. works so yeah and that's what officers have to get used to is being able to use that so what this person is yelling at you calling you all kinds of names and so forth it's your job it's going to happen Right. Let them get the steam off. And as long as they're not doing something stupid that really is against the law, let them go. It'll be okay, Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. but but officers get to the point where i ain't letting him call my mom or something and they want to go after him or something. Right.
0: So what do you think? I mean, how do how do they deal with? um i mean cuz our, our officers taught to deal with their own biases because i think this is just from what i can see and based on some of the things that i've read and heard mm-hmm. there tends to be a um a more forceful way that they handle people of color than yeah. say a white uh you know a, a, a offender or whatever so it, it, they almost see black men especially as a threat
1: yeah How and, do, and I, this is tell true. me about that it's it, you know it's over time it's like when you talk about crime, like armed robberies, murders, uh, assaults, domestic issue issues, those calls officers respond to quite a bit, and it's and I'm not saying it's it's predominantly in the African American community, but you see when you watch the news, what faces do you see pop up right. mostly? Mm-hmm. So officers who aren't used to African-American communities, they go by what they hear or they go by what their peers are telling them that, hey, watch out when you go on this call. We've been in this neighborhood before. So they're Mm -hmm. already on guard when they come in. But Mm -hmm. that's the problem. That's what we need to try to get rid of and try to start from scratch. And doing it, you know, when we go through our testing and so forth, our psychologists, when we go through our psychology classes, we need Mm -hmm. more, not just a little bit. We need a lot more Uh to break down those barriers, to get officers to understand african-american folks and how they deal how we deal how you how you should deal with them Mm -hmm. you know now they're probably thinking when it's a white person they're a little more docile docile. they're not gonna Mm -hmm. they're not gonna be as aggressive as somebody who's african-american because they hate us already so they're gonna go in there with that mindset but you Mm -hmm. can't You have to go in there giving everybody the same even The same, that's right. If you go in there thinking that this is going to escalate because they're black and I'm white and they don't like me, well, already you're putting yourself on defense and your words are going to show show that too. Mm -hmm. But if you go in there with training, proper training, psychological training, and knowing Mm -hmm. that I've been in this community, so therefore I have to know that I'm dealing with an African-American young man who already does not like me or who already has a fear that I'm going to do something to them. So they're going to be on defense. Well, how do you break that down? Well, talking, You know, Mm -hmm. learning Mm -hmm. and learning, learning from somebody who's African-American. If I'm going to be patrolling a white neighborhood, you better know I'm going to know who this person is, who that person is, this person is, who's the lead, who's the neighborhood uh, leader, blah, 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 blah. Tell me what. the So I know I'm gonna gather as much information as I can. So I know that this neighborhood is going to be safe and I'm going to keep it safe because somebody's telling me stuff and I'm going to show them that they can trust me and I can trust them. You know? Yeah, but if I go in there with distrust, forget it. You uh, forget it. It's not gonna. Oh, that's to a mouthful. Door.
0: Yeah, the whole idea around trust. I think that's the key, too, because people, yeah. there's a, a huge amount of distrust right now uh, between the community and law enforcement, and that needs to be mended. And I think it can with a lot of hard work if officers are willing to do like what you're saying and the community is also willing to come to the table where we start talking through some of these things and getting to know each other a lot better. So if they're seeing the same officer regularly in their particular area and they mm-hmm. built this rapport, um, mm-hmm. that th- everybody can be a huge asset to one another. I'm curious... Um, Um, what you think about, so when we get into beyond just the criminal behavior, do you think it's all spawned or spurred by, um, just people being evil or are there certain situations environmentally that contribute to why people act out in the way they do? I'm not trying to excuse people's bad behavior, Mm -hmm. but if I'm impoverished, if I'm struggling, if I have, um, and all of that stuff can contribute to um, problems within the family, not having enough money, not having enough food, or whatever. People tend to act out a whole lot differently than somebody who's comfortably um, advantaged, you know, in their wealth or whatever.
1: True. Do you uh, see? Can you see oh, yeah. us some of that? You know, mm-hmm. the the economic status of African Americans—you can tell. I mean, think about it. We've come a long way, but we're still not there. And with that right. being said, you know, within our own community and neighborhoods, we still are envy of each other. We still, you know, want to fight each other because somebody has this and somebody doesn't have that. And Mm -hmm. what that stems from, of course, is going back way to slavery. And Mm -hmm. here we are today, we're still pitted against each each other. And it's, it's one of those learned behaviors that we need to break. And if we don't break that barrier to come together, to work together, we're going to continue to fight each other. We're going to continue to be jealous of one another. We're going to continue to steal from one another. We're going to continue to fight each other. So mm. if we can get equality across the board, which, of course, those powers that be in government right. don't want that to happen because they fear that we're going to take something from them or take something from you know their generation that they want to pass down to. So they keep that stuff locked. And so mm-hmm. therefore, we still fight. For certain jobs and things of that nature, and as long as we keep doing that, you're going to have kids who's still going to be running the streets. You're going to have kids who's still going to be breaking into homes, kids who to still rob people and kill and fight. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to go, which is a vicious cycle. Sad to say, but in yeah. order for that to change, they have to level the playing field to give everybody an opportunity to be successful.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know what? So uh, as you're describing that, and um, and then I hear you say kids because it's a, it's unfortunately that. Uh, a lot of this, um, it's the younger generation that are being damaged in a lot of ways because it can't break like this generational cycle of uh, you know that kind of behavior a lot of times we see when um, people are born in areas of low income and that, it just kind of perpetuated but like you're saying giving people equal opportunities so that brings me to this question around defunding the police mm-hmm. um, as I've read about this and come to understand it's not like dismantling the, um, the uh, whatever law enforcement uh, agency is in the area it's about kind of um, moving the money in a different area, not all of it, but some to do more things that are a community related. So, you know, if there are more psychological services that need to be offered or some type of uh, recreational centers or something that helps rehab people, job training or something along that line where, the folks that are more inclined to create criminal uh, or have criminal behavior or create um, some kind of criminal act, if we can redirect that by providing greater opportunities for them to be useful citizens in the community. Um, do you believe that that is, um, I guess, a legit uh, means of, of uh, working with uh, law enforcement you and know, the dollars?
1: I think that, you know, defunding the police, I me, myself, personally, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. a great idea because police officers need the resources that they have in order to accomplish the job that's set before them when you defund Mm -hmm. them that's taking money away from them to be able to create programs and services it takes money away from hiring more officers let's say if this is a problem area you want to put more officers on patrol in that area to help break down what's going on so taking money away is actually going to hurt officers more so than try to create or fix the issues out there if anything create more programs and services like community action teams, uh, create more uh, services that's gonna help teach these officers how to react, how to deal with what's going on in the streets. That Mm -hmm. money they could pay for better training, you know, use that money for Mm -hmm. that. Don't take it away where Mm -hmm. it's going to make them suffer because that's not going to change the mindset of of officers. Now, hiring officers is is a big part of this thing. You want to make sure you get the best officers who don't have any any biases or any grudges or anything to that nature or any sensitivity towards African-Americans or Jews or koreans Mm -hmm. or asians anything like that you want officers Mm -hmm. on the street who are there to do the job that's it and the only way you could do that is you you got to go deeper Mm -hmm. the classes training we get aren't it's not a lot it's not more than Mm -hmm. what we need if they can get something you know set up that program it can help a lot it really could um yeah Officers understand i can't act like this in the street You know, because when you put that badge on, some people feel like it makes them Superman. Seriously. Yeah. Like they have all the power. And what I Mm -hmm. say goes. And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be Mm -hmm. that way. It doesn't happen in your household, especially if you're married. So why should it happen in the street? (laughs) Right. You
0: know? (laughs) For sure. I was talking to a defense attorney and she was telling me uh, a lot of it does uh, boil down to dollars. Like even young men who are... um, uh, who are arrested if they don't have the dollars to afford a good attorney, then they're likely to spend some time in jail, even though they have not yet been convicted of anything, but they still end up spending a lot of time in jail because they don't have and their parents don't have the money to get them out of out of jail. They could be totally innocent, but because of the haves and the have nots they suffer a little bit more. She was saying, you know um uh, prosecutors and defense attorneys who are supplied by the state are, you know, it depends on which state it is, you Uh know, who has the most money. So in a big city that has, you know, millions of dollars, you know, uh, um, afforded their police uh, department, they may be able to look at something like what you're describing versus a smaller, a sized or a smaller city that just doesn't have all the dollars to do some of the things that people are suggesting.
1: Right. You know, you look at what's happening with the Richmond County Sheriff's Department and also the city of Columbia. I'll speak mm-hmm. more on the, on the Sheriff's Department because I know more about them than I do the city, but, We've had major issues here. We've You go backwards to the officer who, the deputy who slid the girl across the, the floor, Spring Valley, right. mm-hmm. um, there was no major riots and, and all kinds of, of marches and stuff. Mm-hmm. They had them, but mainly, and you got to understand, agitators, outside agitators who oh, come yeah. in, and they create the problems. But right. still and yet, it never escalated. You think mm-hmm. about what happened with George Floyd, and then you had City of Columbia, and Richmond County officers out in the streets, but who was it mainly? Outside. Agitates. Outside. Now, mm-hmm. What they do, of course, is bring. When they start, then you have your locals who try to do it as well. But mm-hmm. for the most part, peaceful here in Richland County, even though there are major issues happening outside of the county. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happens, we still here have mm-hmm. a sense of pride about what we do. The people who live here, the citizens as well, they're not tearing up the city and so forth and whatnot. Because that's not what they're really trying to do. They're just trying to bring understanding to the law enforcement officers, let them know a change needs to come and it needs to come now. Mm-hmm. But as far as what's been happening in bigger cities, that's so crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my the point that I'm making is, is even though that stuff is happening here, as you can see, Richland County has been very transparent with a lot of stuff that goes on. And right. the sheriff is always getting out in front of anything that goes on. And that is to his credit that, People aren't tearing the city down like that, or the mm-hmm. county down. But yeah. I'm not saying that we don't have problems. The problems that we have, he takes care of it. Deputies do something, he fires right off the bat. I can mm-hmm. name quite a few of them he's fired since I've been there uh, that have lost their job because of um, doing what they've done. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so, and, and I, yeah, and that's what I think people expect accountability because they're yeah. saying there's not a lot of accountability. Cops seem to be able to get away with a lot of things you yeah, know because they're yeah. pretty much um, I guess uh, they police themselves you yeah. know and so how how uh, objective can you be if all the investigations coming from the inside you need you know somebody on the outside to be able to come in and say I'm going to look at this in, a, in an unbiased way and hold people accountable and that's been an issue for a long time and I think why people don't trust the system oh, yeah. in a lot of ways yeah, yeah. so um, I, I'm always about overcoming so this, this podcast is about okay we identify with the Issues are, but what do we need to do in order to make um, the situation better? How do we become resilient? So, how do you? What kind of recommendations? I have y'all talked about. How do you get uh, to a point where you can start winning the trust of the community back again?
1: Having open dialogue. I would do a lot more. You know, they do these town hall things. I would do more of those, especially Mm -hmm. where you have places that people are more vocal, where they're really outspoken, saying, I don't like the police. Let's defund. Well, let's have have this town hall. Let's have this dialogue. If you don't want to do it out in the community where it's open, we can come on in and and let's make a meeting, set up a meeting, and let's talk about the issues that you have so that we can work through this together. Because Mm -hmm. the thing is, police aren't going to go away. Citizens aren't gonna go away. So we have right. to learn to live together and 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 be cohesive. And a way to do that is to actually speak about what the issues are and let's tackle them one by one.
0: Mm-hmm. Another
1: thing too is the sheriff has a citizens advisory council. It's made up of citizens of Richland County. So when an officer does something wrong, he's going to be disciplined, but that information, what he has done goes to the citizens advisory council. They look at it, all of it. Mm. Then they make their recommendation to the sheriff to tell them what he feels, what they feel that he should do. And mm-hmm. any citizen in Richland County can apply to be a part of the citizens advisory council. Cause it's not made up of people that the sheriff handpicks. It's people. They actually just
0: volunteering.
1: Absolutely. Hmm. And uh, and that helps because it keeps Mm -hmm. officers accountable, accountable, and also it holds the sheriff accountable for any actions or disciplinary actions that he needs to do um, with the deputies.
0: Well, you know what? I think that's the kind of stuff that needs to be. I mean, you all might be shouting it from the rooftops, but I don't think that kind of information gets out into the community the way it should. Right. How can, you know, I, I just feel like there's more information. You you all do more than what we know about what gets um, recorded and what gets shouted about, you know, the greasy wheel and all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff we hear about most often, but I'm sure there are a lot of law enforcement agencies that are doing great things in a community yet. We don't hear enough about it.
1: Right, 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 right. I think um, the sheriff's department can really actually put together these documents of all of what they do and share it with this, this is the 21st century policing. Um, and mm-hmm. that's the national, Thing that Obama was part of and he put it out and a lot of right. law enforcement office agencies got a part of it. But if we send mm-hmm. what we do to them and they can distribute it and disperse it to others to see how successful it is, that will help a lot, you know?
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: another thing too, is that blue line. Everybody feels, oh, when an officer does something, other officers who are there and see it, they're not going to say anything, They're not going to speak up. That does mm-hmm. happen. But if you can break that blue line to let other officers know, okay. I can speak up, but there won't be no repercussions from other officers because I said something. That also needs to be handled as well. Because Mm -hmm. think about this. I'm an officer. I told on another one. And then Mm -hmm. I get a call of a domestic situation, which can be one of the dangerous ones. Right. get shot or an armed robbery or robbery in progress or something like that. And I go to that call and then I get, I hear who my backup are. And these guys know it's my call. They're going to let me get there first. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. by the time they get there, it could be a little bit too late for me. Does that make right. sense? Right. Oh, yes, yeah, so, absolutely. So yes. That's, that's one thing that other officers think about that can happen. But again, mm-hmm. if all officers unite together to say nobody's going to do anything bad in our prison, our neighborhood, our department, because we don't allow it. You don't yeah. have to worry about the one who's the bad apple, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it's more about speaking up to get, get those out of there. And the sheriff wants us to speak up about those who are doing anything wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think with that kind of leadership and somebody saying, look, I got your back, if something like this occurs with it, when there's retaliation or anything along that line, I think it, it really, when you have that kind of support, I would imagine that people feel a little bit more encouraged to um, step up when they need to. and the, And the public, like I say, needs to know that um, that kind of thing is going on. I don't care if it's a public service announcement or something that they put on TV every now and again mm-hmm. to outsh- uh, out overshadow some of the negativity. I just think there needs to be a big PR campaign for law enforcement because I know you all do some really hard work out there. We definitely need you. I don't think anybody says they want, you were saying citizens are going to always be around and uh, law enforcement is going to always be around because mm-hmm. guess what? Crime is going to always be around. Absolutely. So we certainly have a place for you in society. It's just about like what you've been describing uh, through the course of this this podcast, how do we manage all of the, actually being able to do the great work that you do while still, that whole protection part, but also that serving part, you yeah. know? Yeah. How do you continue to be a service to the community uh, while still doing the hard work of protecting us too? So I, I know that's a big challenge well, for y'all.
1: You know, the thing is, is that we live, we work, we play in the same community that we're serving. So if mm-hmm. that's the case, get to know the people that you're working for. Well, and when I say working for, being a public uh, um, civil servant, we are yep. working for you. So right. um, my kids go to this school. My I, I my. You know, wife may work over here you, and things of that nature. We're all neighbors. So it, mm-hmm. even though I have a job that, you know, you put a uniform on and you get a badge in your gun, it doesn't make me any better than somebody who's a school teacher or somebody who works for the bus uh, company or anything like that. We all right. work together. So therefore, I, I, I just put myself in a position whereas I'm no better than anybody, no matter how many jobs I may have. I'm, I'm human just like you. And I'm just like me. I'm no better. I'm no worse. I'm right there with you. And if I could do anything to help you, I know you would. And if there's something that you could do for me, I'm expecting you to do that for me as well. So Mm -hmm. it's just about working together and living together. And we can do that if we all just are willing to try.
0: Oh, I'm gonna leave it on that note right there. That's fantastic. You sound like a politician, but it still sounds good. <laughs> right. No, it's true. I think we all have that same sentiment, and um, I'll leave it. I, I'll. My hope is that as people listen to this, they will have it'll. It'll at least spark a different thought in their minds when it comes to law enforcement, because you shared a lot of things that, you know, we're not on a day to day. I don't do right along. So I don't know what your experience is every day. Mm-hmm. And so to see and to hear some of these stories, I mean, it does put things into perspective for us. So thank you so much, Curtis Wilson, for being a part of Radiance and Resilience today. I appreciate your expertise and your not perspective.
1: Thank you for All having right. me. I appreciate that.
0: You're welcome. Enjoy your week.
1: You too. Alrighty. Bye.
0: Everyone wants to go to work in an environment where they feel respected and accepted for the great work they do. Unfortunately, there are environments where minorities feel discriminated against and treated unfairly even as they are underrepresented in their workplaces. They face microaggressions and bias from bosses and coworkers. For those who carry these actions out unconsciously, they often offend without realizing it. Part of great leadership is creating a workplace where everyone feels appreciated and accepted, but it takes work and education around diversity, equity, and inclusion matters to get there. All companies could benefit from development in these areas, and taking the time to invest in your employees' growth in diversity matters is a great way to do business. At Sharper Development Solutions, we're happy to help you make your organization a place of high productivity and fairness, and an all-around great place to work. Call us today at 803-622-4511 to set up a consult.